Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Hannah Selector, the co-host of the Castle Rock Historical Society podcast and co-host of the YouTube series Real Horror. And now, here's our first letter. Subject, grieving in-laws have become overwhelming. Dear Prudence, My husband unexpectedly passed away while we were in the early stages of divorce. We'd married way too quickly under pressure from his family when I got pregnant. We were great friends, but not in love, and he had been starting to explore the possibility that he might be gay. He'd been on a few dates with men, but nobody else in his family knew. His parents never liked me, but they adore our daughter. Since he died, they've become overbearing and hypercritical. They live an hour away, but show up several times a week to check on me really to upbraid me for having a messy house or wearing pajamas or not going to church. Their son was an atheist. He just didn't want to argue about it. They want to start taking my daughter every Sunday so she can attend church and Bible study and have a proper meal with them. I'm against this, and her father would have been too. They tell her elaborate stories about how daddy is in heaven now and someday she will see him again, which is exciting and confusing for a three-year-old who misses her dad. I've decided to move and have been looking for a house on the West Coast near my family. We're currently in the Midwest. I told my former in-laws what I was thinking about, and they became hysterical. They threatened to file for custody and claimed I'm unfit. My mother-in-law picked my daughter up and ran to the car with her, pulling at the locked door handle and wailing about never seeing her again. My daughter was frightened and upset. I know they're struggling with their loss, but they are set on being a much bigger part of her life than I can handle and instilling their conservative values in the name of their son, whom they clearly didn't know very well. We'd talked about needing to counter their intolerant opinions as our daughter got older. I have no desire to keep them in her life or mine. Do they have a right to be? Would it be horrible if I just ghosted them? Telling them the truth about their son will cause them even more distress and hostility toward me. I also don't want them lying to her about her dad. He was wonderful, and she should grow up knowing who he really was. So lots going on here. I think the place that I wanted to start just really quickly was about the question of ghosting, not on a like an ethical level, but just on the sense of whether or not that might set you up for trouble. And as best as I was able to discover, like, for example, in New York State, grandparents can petition for visits from the courts, but that's just visits. It's not that, you know, if they wanted to try to file for custody, for example, they would have to demonstrate abuse and neglect. And um, she wears pajamas and sometimes gets takeout is not, that's not a legal standard. So you know, at most, depending on the state that you live in and and the laws there, they could possibly file for legal visitation. And it is possible that you would have to, at some point, um, accommodate that, you know, seek legal counsel if you have any more questions there. I, I don't think that you would, you know, there's certainly no rule of like, you can't move out of the state with your kid if their grandparents object. There's no, they can't come after you that way. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer, but I work for one. So I was actually glad to get this question because this is something that actually comes up in our practice from time to time. What I would say is that threats of lawsuits are in much higher quantity than actual lawsuits. And lawsuits are very cost prohibitive for almost everyone. 
I, I would advise you not to take the incident with the running to the car lightly. That right. is extremely frightening to me. That behavior is very worrying. After reading this, it's a long, it's a longish letter, but I have a very brief answer. Move and don't tell them. If they know you have plans, they'll stop you or maybe show up. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that that was an attempted kidnapping. It was a, a flailing, half-baked one. But it's my understanding that the most common forms of kidnapping are from family members. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's very, very possible that they will try to follow up. And, you know, I mean, here's a, like, no one wants even like a second lousy kidnapping attempt of their kid. You know, one's enough. They've absolutely demonstrated that they are interested in trying to get your kid away from you. And uh, yeah, I don't think ghosting them is a horrible decision. I think it's in your and your daughter's best interests. No, and and it is up to you whether or not they continue to have a relationship with their granddaughter. Um, it, it seems to me just with the the backstory that was given that the, the letter writer feels as if they need to justify the idea of not engaging with in-laws who are consistently judgmental and rude to her and who are attempting to instill values in her child that she does not agree with. Mm-hmm. Relationships, healthy ones or or ones that you want to maintain are predicated on like a healthy understanding of boundaries and, and what's appropriate behavior and what's not. This is beyond the pale of inappropriate. Right, right. I, I think the one hard thing there is going to be if you cut off contact, they're going to be very mad. They will try to get around it. And you will have to live with the frustration of knowing there's a group of people out there who probably every chance they get tell a version of a story about me that's really untrue and really frustrating because I want to correct it. And that will be the thing you will have to let go. Like they're not going to suddenly realize, oh yeah, we really fucked up. Oh, we really pushed our son away. You know, they're just going to say we have this great son and then his evil wife, you know, turned into a monster as soon as he died and she took, she stole our grandbaby. And that's just, you know, that's again, that's what therapy is for where you get to go like process how that hurts, but like you are not going to convince them um, that you knew their son better than they did. You're not going to convince them that it's not okay to try to kidnap your grandkid just because her mother doesn't go to church and doesn't make a lot of casseroles. Like, They are not people who you need to try to argue with or reason with. They've demonstrated they have no interest in that. Um, These are people you need to keep your kids safe from and get the hell away from. Absolutely. And I think moving closer to your family and and a support system who will be able to back you in maintaining that distance is is a really smart plan. And, And I hope very much that it works out for you and that, you know, you're able to give your daughter the picture of your husband that you would like her to have. Yeah. And obviously you don't have to say anything to them about their son. My guess is they would not believe you if you said anything. Oh yeah. Um, I totally forgot that that was part of the question. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right to not want to do that. And, and I just think that, um, until you move, be really vigilant about don't leave the front door unlocked. Even when you're at home, um, they may try to come by, consider, informing one or two friends that you might need a place to stay while you're looking for another place or just to let them know like, hey, if I give you a call, it's because the grandparents showed up and I'm worried they're going to try to take the kid. Like 
you can't really be overzealous until you move, I think, in terms of making sure they don't get in your house. No, and she's so young. She's three, right? That's right. what the letter said. Like, she's she's a kid that's, like, just pick-upable. Yeah. No unsupervised trips to McDonald's with grandma and grandpa for the time being until, you know, you are able to establish this distance. It's yeah. just... And if, again, you know, this is a situation where I would say if you need to do the whole cunning as serpents, gentle as doves things, do it. By which I would mean until you get that place, until you like sign on the dotted line and you have a move-in date. If you need to pretend that you've stopped thinking about moving and then just bolt in the night, I hope you don't have to. I hope you're able to just say like, we're not going to church. We're not doing these visits right now. I need space and you need to leave me alone. And you feel supported and comfortable doing that. I hope you can. But strategically, if like based on their behavior, you need to not trust them. And if the safest way that you can keep them off your back is by placating them with excuses about why you can't get together until you're ready to go, do that. Yep. No is a complete sentence. That's what they say. If you are uncomfortable, you know, elaborating further. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a situation where like, hey, we need to have a serious talk. This is like, well, you tried to kidnap my kid and uh, you think I am going to hell. And um, there's no middle ground for us to meet on. So I would be more worried about you underreacting than overreacting in this situation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So this next one really, I I always like it when somebody makes it really clear what their goal is. And especially (laughs) if it's like a totally unachievable goal, like, why can't she celebrate me for my financial wisdom? Like, that's just the question. Oh, the that's li- what this that person line. wants. It's your turn to read. It I'm is. Jealous, it is. but yeah. yep. So the subject is stock market success, unhappy wife. Dear Prudence, in 2008, after the stock market crash, I took every penny I had in my personal checking and savings accounts and bought stocks I liked. In 2016, my stocks had increased five times in value. And I had enough to cash them in and pay off the rest of our mortgage. My wife was dead set against it. She refused to give me a valid reason, nor was she willing to pay half, so I just paid it off myself. I saved some more money, and in March of this year, stocks that I had been monitoring collapsed. I bought a lot of them up, and by June, I was able to cash out with a profit of $100,000. I have to deal with the taxes first, but I plan to use the rest for our children's college fund. My wife has invested $50 a month in our children's 529 fund since they were born. She's probably saved $50,000. She always prided herself on that plan, which I wasn't a part of, and how it would pay for their college. Now I've made more than that in three months. My wife is angry and tells her family that I've gambled my money. She loudly voices her concerns that I make bad financial decisions. I don't. I'm cashed out of the stock market entirely right now. Is she jealous? It's not like I've taken these stock gains for myself. One paid off our mortgage and the other will pay for the kid's college. Why can't she celebrate me for being financially wise? It happened to make more sense to pour everything into the market at the bottom and sell after three months than to save $50 a month for 17 years. The proof is in the results. So I actually do think there's some stuff in this letter that I want to give the letter writer credit for. But man, oh man, the last two sentences really make it hard for me to root for this guy because it just feels so goddamn smug. Yeah, you have given me the feeling of being trapped in a room watching a timeshare presentation in the span of a single paragraph. It and and this might, I don't want to be super hard, and you might influence the way your wife reacts to some of the things that you say if if it's with this tone. Yeah. It's a bit abrasive. It's a lot abrasive. And it's also just like, you know, that last 
the second to last sentence is just like, well, what I did was I bought low and I sold high. And it's like, yeah, everyone wants to do that. Like, that's like a joke on, you know, like it's a bad joke. It's just shorthand in dialogue. If someone's like, you want to present someone as a blowhard, it's like, well, what you do is you got to buy low and sell high. And it's like, yeah, you, you, you played the market. It worked out. You followed a plan and that worked out. I, I don't know that you can say like luck and timing didn't have anything to do with it. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. go into the stock market with the plan, buy low, sell high. And then it's it's not like a vending machine where you guarantee put in a dollar and get $50 out two months later. Like Right. If it were, we would all have paid off a mortgage. Yeah. Then just everybody would do exactly what you do and it would always work out. So like, yeah, you, you made calls that worked out. They panned out. You made the good decisions. Luck and timing was also a factor. And I think it will help to acknowledge that rather than simply everyone else is a moron and should have just followed my exact plan and we'd all be billionaires. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like, I'm very happy that you chose to take that money and, you know, not pre-order an Xbox X series or or something that you paid off your mortgage and you plan to use this to to put your kids through college. I would hope you're also planning for retirement if we're going to make um, obvious financial statements mm-hmm. about, you know, prudent financial decisions. Sure. Um, a couple of things about the letter stuck out to me in, in a way that worried me about this dynamic. And it is that the phrase dead set and angry and loudly voices her concerns. Is she jealous? I... I don't understand the way your finances work. I know a lot of couples are very different, but this certainly doesn't paint a picture of cooperative financial decision-making, which I think is really important in, yeah. in a committed relationship, especially when you, you, know, you share children. Uh, it doesn't sound as if there's like any discussing. Of course, you said she refused to give me a valid reason. Do you mean valid by the general standard or valid in your eyes? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you spent a lot of time thinking about the stocks that you were monitoring, but you don't say like, I set out in 2008 to acquire money for the kids' college funds or the mortgage. So it sounds like a lot of this was characterized by opportunism, which again is fine. Being opportunistic isn't always a bad thing. But like the problem here is that your wife has spent every month since the kids were born thinking about planning for and taking steps to ensure their like college money. And then you just had a run of good luck and some money to burn. And then you were like, great, I did it. And so the the money is just part of it. Part of it is she's been doing all this work for a really long time and you weren't. And so she feels rightly frustrated that you're like, look, all that matters is how much money we each contribute. Sorry, you wasted your time by like solidly and consistently thinking about our kids' well-being for 18 years, you chump. But you should have just like, you know, played the market like me and then we'd all be doing great and the proofs and the results. And why can't you just praise my acumen? Like she's mad at you because you swooped in, got lucky and then dismissed the hard work she's put in thinking about the kids. That doesn't mean you're evil for making the money or using it towards the kids. It just means you're acting like the money's the only thing that matters here. And what also matters is the shared investment of time and energy. And you've devalued her contribution, her consistent and thoughtful contribution over a period of 17 years to your kids' higher education. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's an incredible demonstration, I think, of character and, yeah. and thoughtfulness and, you know. Yeah. 
And I just, I don't believe that it was your plan like 18 years ago when your first kid was born was like, in 2008, stock market's going to crash. I'm going to make a killing there. And then eight years after that, I'm going to make a second killing. And that's when I'm going to contribute to the kids' college funds. Like, it seems clear to me this is not a plan you've had in mind for 18 years. So that bit about it just happened to make more sense to like buy low, sell high. And it's just like, you need to admit that you kind of just weren't thinking a lot about the kids' college funds for a while. And then you sort of got interested in the stock market because it seemed like a fun game and like something that you would be good at predicting. And that turned out to be true. And then as a result, you were like, great, I'll use this for the kids. But don't pretend like you just did some back-of-the-envelope calculations 18 years ago, didn't mention anything to your wife. And then the whole time you're just like, I'm the genius. Like, uh, I'm going to run out at the last second, beat her. Unless you're insider trading, you know, this was this was a, a good luck thing. Not everyone succeeds in the stock market. In fact, a lot of people fail. And Probably because they forgot to buy low and sell high. They should right, write that down. Or failed to monitor collapses, which I understood from context, but did not you know, know the official term. They should have for. just seen the collapse coming. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, why haven't you made more than 100K if you're... Um, so guaranteed to flourish in this way. I I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, what you've accomplished is nothing, you know. Right. Whatever. That's great. I'm very happy for your family. I just, I know that there is an attitude here that is rankling for your wife. And, you know, she feels not listened to. She feels devalued. Yeah. She feels like no one is listening, which is perhaps why she's speaking loudly about her concerns. Risk is a genuine concern, by the right. way. Right. There's, you could have lost the money. It was not a 100% ironclad guarantee that you were going to make money. And it's good that it sounds like you two have a lot of separate finances, in part because it sounds like you have really different approaches to finances. So that is good, I think. Um, and you don't have to apologize for paying off the mortgage. You don't have to apologize for contributing to the kids' college funds. But I think it would just help a lot if you went back to your wife and said, like, I realize that you've been really mad about this and I haven't really been able to figure out why because it just felt like good news, there's money. And I think I understand that part of the reason that you're frustrated is because you've been thinking about this diligently for years and through a combination of playing the markets and luck and timing, I was able to come up with a lot of money quickly. And I'm really sorry that I've checked out of that conversation with you or kind of let you handle the boring, steady stuff and then got to be like fun dad with the gold ice cream cones. Mm-hmm. And if she's receptive to that, if if that helps address some of her anger, if she finds that apology meaningful and you two are able to have a more productive conversation, great. And maybe once she's gotten that apology, she'll be a little bit more inclined to say, by the way, that's great that it all worked out. You did pay careful attention and it paid off and I'm glad that you did. And you might be able to figure out a way to talk to each other instead of her feeling like I have to go complain to other people and you feeling like, why is my celebration wife's, like, why is my wife's celebration mode broken? Yeah. Try talking with her, not at her. If you would genuinely like her to to be, you know, I mean, well, that's probably overstepping a bit. I'm just saying if you're interested and enjoy stock trading and, and you want to like do it together, you you could be nice about it and see. That might be that may be a couple of steps down the road. Like we're not quite there yet. Right now, pack it in yeah. with the, you know, amateur stock seminars. Yeah. And and just like if the best thing that you get out of this conversation is you both are able to apologize for the way that you've hurt the other, 
and you just kind of agree, okay, in the future, this is going to be like Jim's stock money and we're not going to talk about it too often as long as he's committed to not risking any of our joint accounts. I'm a big fan of the fun account approach for couples where you each have your own like fun account. No judgment when I buy like 3D printed light switch covers. As long as it's not out of the... <laughs> the, the language of personal finance sometimes goes into areas where I'm just like, the fun account. I don't know how I feel about the idea of that <laughs> phrase. I have no other thoughts there other than just like... I feel like a dog that's just been shown food I don't want. I'm like, yeah, the no question account that I've heard many different names. Sure, sure, sure. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 